Pastor Xavier Reese with a test of trust on today's Simple Truths. Be careful what you trust. Are you, are you saying, oh, God is so good, but what would happen if God takes your job? God's still good? What if God takes your health? What if God takes your wife? God's still good? You see, each of us need to know that our faith is in Jesus Christ, not in what we have, not in where we go. It's so important. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Misplaced faith, or simply idol worship, was something that the people of Judah during Jeremiah's time were guilty of. But Pastor Xavier says idolatry isn't just the thing of the ancient past. For example, misplaced faith in your pastor, local church, or even just regular church attendance can breed a false security to a believer because God no longer remains the source of trust. Let's pick up the conclusion now of a simple truth study drawn from Jeremiah chapter 7. The message is entitled, Trusting in a False Refuge. The people were trusting, in fact, in the refurbishment of the temple, and therefore they claim their protection and their right to stand before Yahweh based on the restoration of the temple instead of their obedience. People associate ritual instead of obedience. That is always a dangerous thing, and it has gone on from the beginning of times, and it will continue to do so. Jeremiah is sent to confront the people at the gate of the temple, probably at one of the national feasts. This is the third sermon of Jeremiah that goes from chapter 7 to chapter 10. The temple sermon proper of Jeremiah is found in the first 15 verses of chapter 7 here. Now, the people in Jeremiah's day believed that the temple of God promised them refuge regardless of their lifestyle, characterized by the following. First in verse 1 through 7, you have the misplaced faith of the people. Secondly, verse 8 through 11, you have the major deception of the people. And you find that in verse 8 through 11. And then finally, the monument of judgment for the people is given in verse 12 through 15. Notice he begins here with the misplaced faith of the people because this is the heart of the problem. The prophet Jeremiah was commanded to address the people in the temple. This is where it's happening. The very house of God. And this is a common repetition through here. The prophet Jeremiah was to communicate to the people that Yahweh was calling them to turn from their sin. It seems like there's, there's no new message for these guys, is there? The God who is constantly at war with sin told the people to amend their ways. And they're doing. Your ways implies your attitude, your perspective of life. Your doings means the sins you're committing. Because, see, your sins come from what you believe. Your manner of life comes what you believe. Jesus said it's not what goes in your mouth that defiles you, but it's what comes out of the heart. Whatever perspective you have towards God, the way you've shaped your God will be the way you live. If your God is shaped after the manner of Scripture, then your life is going to be lined up with Scripture. But if your mind and your heart has distorted the biblical revelation of the God we serve, then you will live according to your 
corrupt view. Notice secondly, verse 8 through 11, we have the major self-deception of the people. And first in verse 8, the people were trusting in their false words. Of course, the false prophets. They were listening to lying words of these prophets. In uh, Jeremiah 5.12 and 6.14, we've read, uh, they said, It is not he, in other words, God's not speaking through Jeremiah. Neither will evil come upon us, nor shall we see the sword or famine. Peace, peace, when there is no peace, they're saying. They were believing these words would profit them, but they would not. Verse 8, trusting in foreign allies, as he said before in chapter 2, verse 37, it would not profit them. Trusting in the false words of the prophet would not benefit them either, as he said in chapter 5, verse 31. Trusting in the temple would not benefit them even as he says here in verse 4. It's all misplaced. They're lies. Now look at verse 9, secondly. The people were breaking both tables of the Ten Commandments. Will you steal? Will you murder? Will you commit adultery? Will you swear falsely? Will you burn incense to Baal? Will you walk after other gods whom you do not know? No! Notice 30 here as he moves to verse 10. The people were making Yahweh one with their sin. He continues in his rhetorical question. Immediately after the running, running of the list, the Lord says, And then... After he says, will you do this, 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 he says, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, this house that you think you have a refuge, and it's called by my name, and you can come and stand before me after you do all those things? Notice, fourthly, in verse 11, the people had turned the house of Yahweh to a den of thieves. This is the third rhetorical question. The question, again, has an obvious answer. This one is yes. Often religious temples would become temporary refuge locations for thieves. And the authorities cannot touch them. And some of them would go into caves. But the book of Revelation, as we study the seven churches, we saw this, that thieves would, would have refuge in some temples and the authorities couldn't touch them. And Jesus quoted this about the den of thieves in Matthew twenty-one thirteen and Mark eleven seventeen, as he scourged them out of the temple and just emptied and turned the tables over. Why? Because they were profiting from the people. They're merchandising them. The money changers were charging an exorbitant amount of money for changing their money. They were selling sheep for two, three times the price. And of course, when you brought yours, they would find a fault in it so you can buy one of theirs. And then they would allow people to shortcut through the temple if they paid some money. And Jesus said, you've made it a den of thieves. And he ran them all out, and then he turned to where it's supposed to be, the house of prayer. He began to minister. He quotes this. The house of the temple, which was called by his name, notice, Yahweh, had become a den of thieves, but they failed to realize in their eyes. They had done it, and they didn't see it. That is a scary experience. Because you know, something is really wrong. When you can no longer discern truth from error, right from wrong. That means that you've been living in that position for a long, 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 long time. Calluses don't come when you work only one day. <laughs> they come when you work every day. They thought their compromise made sin their lifestyle, and it did. Their sin was their lifestyle. This was their fear. They didn't see it. Notice the punchline exposes the guilt of the people at the end of verse 11. 
Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. Now, you may not see it. You may not acknowledge it. You may not see it because you're so used to sin, it looks pretty light to you. But me, I see it. You stay in darkness long enough, you can see perfectly in the darkness. But you come out of the light into a dark room, you're blind. The great I am, who is omnipresent, omniscient, was not ignorant about their sin. That they were attempting to make him one with. He wouldn't tolerate it. The person who comes to seek God. As they live in constant sin. Is saying that God is one with their sin. And that God approves of their sin. And you know what will happen? God will turn you over to your sin. Listen to Ezekiel. Ezekiel's talking at the same time that Jeremiah is talking. Ezekiel 14.4. These elders were coming to Yahweh, and Yahweh said, Look at these guys, Ezekiel. Should they come and seek me after they're living, the way they're living? So he says, Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus saith the Lord God, Every one of the house of Israel who sets up his idol in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him. Who comes, listen, according to the multitude of his idols. You continue in your sin and you continue seeking God and making him one with your sin and not repenting. And he will answer you according to your sin. That's scary. That's real scary. Peter says much the same thing in Second Peter 2.20. For if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and Savior, they are again entangled. In them and overcome the latter end is worse than the beginning. All of us know people who God, by His grace, took out of just a sewer and just did such an incredible work in their life. And then, one step after another, they went back and their state now is worse than ever before. Pretty scary. Some people have made the church of God a den of thieves today. By their political correctness and their permissiveness. Uh, pastors who marry homosexuals and they say that God approves it. Catering to the homosexual community and the lifestyle without offering repentance and demanding repentance. Churches who do not confront and discipline members when they know they're living in open sin. Now we don't try to find out where you're at. But if something comes to our attention and it's true, we confront you with it. We ask you. But we don't go out looking for anything. But when, when, when I know, it's like you as a parent, you know, well, you don't know what your kid's doing is one thing. But once you know, you're responsible to deal with it. Sometimes it's not done because the person in sin is a big tither. And so this was the major self-deception of the people. But notice lastly, the monument of judgment for the people. Uh, verse 12 through 15. And this is kind of like a mini little parable, because a parable is, it comes from the word para, alongside. And, and, and he, Jesus always takes something that someone knows and puts it next to what they don't know. So in knowing what they knew know, they'll be able to know what they don't know. And that's what a parable is. So they're, they're not hearing, and judgment is coming. So now he puts Shiloh right next to their condition. He's identified their condition. He's going to put Shiloh next to their condition, which is identical. And he's going to say, now look what happened to Shiloh. Do you think it's not going to happen to you? Notice verse in verse 12. Yahweh reminds the people of his judgment of Shiloh. 
Yahweh tells the people to go to his place, which was in Shiloh, where he said his name first. Now, this was when the people first entered the land, as you know. They came into the conquest of the land, and Shiloh was about 20 miles north of Jerusalem in the territory of Ephraim. And Yahweh told him, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people of Israel. So he tells them straight out. He had judged it for the evil of the people. The tabernacle had been set up there after the conquest of, of, of uh, Canaan. You find it in uh, Joshua 18.1, 22.12, Judges 21.19, and through the book of Samuel. And so God set it up there. And God met the people there with the priests. Now, at Shiloh, Israel went into idolatry. We mentioned it earlier, 1 Samuel 4.11. What happened? From 1 to 11, they took the ark out to the war camp of the Philistines, thinking that this relic would give them victory. That's idolatry. If you put your faith in me, if you put your faith in this church, or that you come, or that you tithe, that is idolatry. That is misplaced faith. That is not what God would have you to do. In fact, Psalm 78, 60 through 64 tells of, of the ark being taken. The ark remained at Kirhajurim for 20 years. Do you realize that in 1 Samuel 7 too? When the ark was taken back, and for 20 years, they didn't even seek it. Judgment over them. Until Saul sought it through the prophet Ahijah in 1 Samuel 14, 18. And then, as you know, the ark rested at Nob during Saul's reign. And that's where Saul had all the high priests killed. Because he was after David and and the priest had interceded for David in 1 Samuel 21, 1-2. So Shiloh is a very clear place of judgment. Now notice, secondly, Yahweh rebukes the people of their evil in rejecting God's word. In verse 13. Because the people had done all these works of evil, says the Lord, once again, He is the one that's all-knowing. Nothing can escape Him. Once again, the authority is not Jeremiah's, but it's Yahweh's. Because Yahweh has spoken to the people, rising early and speaking through the prophets. That's what's implied here. The phrase is repeated, rising up early throughout the book of Jeremiah. The words were words of warning to the people. The words were words of repentance so they can be forgiven. Because they did not hear. And Yahweh called them, but they did not answer. You see, the people had an uncircumcised heart and ear, as we've seen in Jeremiah 4, 4 and 6, 10. The people's heart were hard like unturned earth. He's told us that in chapter 4, verse 3. The people ignored Yahweh. They did not answer. This was their sin. They shine God on. And there's a lot of people who shine God on and they go to church Every Sunday. Every midweek. Now you know as a father or a mother, and you can recall when your kids were growing up, that there was times when you were calling them. And they didn't respond. And you kept calling. And then pretty soon when they didn't answer, and they were a young enough age where you were concerned, and you started freaking out and you kept yelling, then all of a sudden, they decided to respond to you. They heard you all along. And then when you finally saw him, you said, oh, oh, you were all happy. But then you start thinking, like, why don't you answer me? What's the matter with you? <laughs> now, if that irritates us, what do you think it does to God? Let's give God a break, guys. 
Notice thirdly in verse 14 and 15, Yahweh reiterates the judgment that he will bring to the people. Words and deeds and actions of evil have consequences. What should we say about ignoring God's warnings? Listen, Yahweh would destroy the house called by his name. Secondly, Yahweh would destroy the house called by his name because they put their trust in the temple for their safety, not Yahweh. Psalm 20 says, some trust in horses, some in chariots, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Be careful what you trust. Are, are you trusting? Are you, are you saying, oh, God is so good. But what would happen if God takes your job? God's still good? What if God takes your health? What if God takes your wife? God's still good? You see, each of us need to know that our faith is in Jesus Christ, not in what we have, not in where we go. It's so important. Thirdly, Yahweh would destroy the place He had given to their fathers as He had done to Shiloh. There's the application. And fourthly, Yahweh would cast the people out of His sight because they're living in sin. And fifth, Yahweh would do to them as He had cast out their brethren the whole posterity of Ephraim, the northern kingdom, Ephraim went into captivity in 722 B.C. by Assyria. hundred years later now, Judah would go into captivity under three sieges, 606, 596, 586, for 70 years. The history of Israel should teach the church God's past judgment of His people. Listen to Paul as he tells the Corinthians, and it's lengthy, so bear with me. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1 through 13. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual bread, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, the rock which was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things became our example. They applied to us. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and arose to play. And it wasn't baseball or football they were playing. Nor let us commit sexual immorality. As some of them did. And in one day 20,000 of them fell. Nor let us tempt Christ. As some of them also tempted. And were destroyed by the serpents. Nor complain. As some of them also complained. And were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as an example. They were written for our admonition. Upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore. Here's the application. Let him who thinks he stand. Take heed lest he fall. Now, you, are you saying that Old Testament is not applicable to you? Are you saying this is just a psychological scare tactic? I don't think so. When I told my kids when they were little, don't go on the street or you can get run over. There was a real possibility it could happen if they went out there. It wasn't just to keep them in the yard because I was mean. The person who rejects the word of God will one day be judged by the very word they rejected. Listen to the words of Paul in Acts 13, 46. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, 
we turn to the Gentiles. Any person who rejects the word of God will be judged by the very word he has rejected. No exception. The nations of the past who have opposed the word of God and lived as if God's warnings were nothing to them have often been allowed by God to be destroyed and to be conquered. God used Israel after the exodus to judge the Amorites' sin. In Genesis 15, 16, God gave 430 years for them to repent. And when they kept rejecting it, judgment came. Who judged them? Israel took over their land. God used Assyria to judge Israel, the northern kingdom. Took them into captivity. God is using Babylon here now to judge Judah in the third siege of 586 to go into captivity. God used Rome, the general Titus in 70 AD, to bring judgment to Israel for rejecting the word. God will use whoever and whatever he wills to judge nations who live contrary to the light of the gospel they have possessed. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Do we think that our nation today, is there any remote possibility that it might be God's judgment on us, the things that have been happening the last 25, 30 years, as you look to the different things? This was the monument of judgment for the people. Heavy message that Jeremiah had to give. And Jeremiah knew they wouldn't hear him. The people of Jeremiah's day believed that the temple of God promised them refuge, regardless of their lifestyle. And these three characteristics are evidence of that. They're characterized by the misplaced faith of the people. What are you trusting? I hope you're trusting Jesus Christ alone. The major deception of the people was they could live in sin and still come to church and be right with God. The monument of judgment for the people was Shiloh. They knew all about it, but they ignored it. God help us. I've run too long. I've got too many scars to quit now. This life will soon be over. And only what you do for Jesus is going to last. Everything else... It's going to burn up. Left behind. Enjoy life. Be content. Be a good steward. But trust in God. Because no one knows what can happen tomorrow. Pastor Xavier Reese, closing our Simple Truth study by issuing the challenge to finish well the race set before you. But we're not quite done for today, as Pastor Xavier is standing by with a final comment. But first, let me quickly mention that copies of today's study titled, Trusting in a False Refuge, are available on CD for only $4. We'll be including everything Pastor Xavier shared the last week we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is simply, Trusting in a False Refuge. Or just mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make a request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. 
And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And Pastor Xavier, I see you're holding a message from a listener who did just that, that you wanted to share. Yeah, we got an email from um, Heidi Brown. She's from Montgomery, New York. And uh, we want to thank her for emailing us and letting us know that she's listening to the program. She sits in her car at 11.30 a.m. and she listens to the program. And again, this is the only way we can tell if God is using it. And we so appreciate it. So we encourage you that if uh, God has allowed you to be fed through this program or any other program for that matter, that you be responsible and drop them an email so that they would understand exactly how God is blessing it. Thanks a lot. God bless you. Yes, hearing from listeners just like Heidi is important for ministries to know that the message is being received. And if you'd like to jot down a quick comment in an email, you can send it to Simple Truths at ccpas.com. That's Simple Truths at ccpas.com. Or the street address one more time is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And we hope you'll join us again soon for more Simple Truths right here with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com